Well, today we are beginning a new series on the book of Ephesians, which is a short but very theologically packed book of Scripture. Ephesians has been called an epistle, it's been called a book, even a sermon. Among other things, Ephesians is a letter to the church. So what comes to your mind when you think of the word church? Is it an organization? Is it a building? Is it a congregation? Well, according to Ephesians, the church is God's chosen instrument for making his will known to the rulers and authorities in heaven. Craig Ott, missiologist, professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and member of our original oversight team for LifeSpring Community Church, put it like this, the church is the only institution on earth entrusted with a message of transformation, the gospel, and the only community that is a living demonstration of that transformation. Does that amaze you? That God would entrust the church as his chosen instrument for transformation, not only on earth, but in heaven, and that message entrusted to us is also the means of our transformation. God's purpose is to unify all things in heaven and earth under Christ, and the church is a big part of God's cosmic plan. The universe is included in all things, and on earth, God extended his covenant from the nation he chose to save to a world that doesn't love him. The gospel story is the good news that should affect and infect all we say and do. God loves the church. Christ died for the church and for those who belong to it. They put off their old self. They put on the new. They receive gifts to better serve one another. They are children of the light, imitators of God, sons and daughters of the king. Now today, people use this word church to mean a building, a congregation, or an organization, oftentimes. And that's not necessarily wrong, but it is incomplete. Uh, the church is greater than those things. Buildings crumble, congregations age, organizations lose focus, but the body of Christ is imperishable, having been purchased by Jesus' blood. It will not crumble, age, lose focus, but through Christ's love for the church, God's mystery is made known. Now, I believe this is a timely series. We live in an age when people don't think too much about the church, the nature of the church, the role of the church in our lives, but Jesus died for those who comprise the church. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And I believe this is also a timely series for us as a congregation. Uh, we are building a place to gather to bless the neighborhoods, schools, and families in the greater Richmond Spring Grove area. And as we get ready for this big step, it is crucially for, uh, important for us to remember who we are and what God, God has called us to do. He has entrusted us with the message of transformation, the gospel, and we are a living demonstration of that transformation. That's who we are. So here's my, my prayer for us this series, that we will corporately and individually grow in our understanding of Christ's vision for the church, and that in understanding more of God's love for the church, we will also grow as a local congregation and expression of Christ's love.
Now, <clears throat> I'm going to pull a page out of my friend Norell's book. Anybody remember Norell? He preached here about two, month, two, three months ago, something like that. He's an African-American pastor and a little more animated than I am. So well, let's, let's try this out. Say church. Okay, say Jesus died for the church. Now that's you and me. Say Jesus loves the church. Now let me ask you to think this in your own mind. Do I love the church? Do you and I love the church in the way Jesus does, who died for it? If you would please open the book of Ephesians with me, if you um, have your bulletin, it's printed in there. I encourage you to take a look at it. Um, it is, if you're looking in your paper Bible, it is snuggled between Galatians and Philippians. Our text is Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. I'm going to read the greeting that takes place in the first two verses for you. It starts out like this, and, and you are reading as I'm talking, aren't you? Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy saints at LifeSpring Community Church, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Stop me now. Did Paul really say these words, the holy saints at LifeSpring Community Church? Yeah, what do you think? Yes or no? It's, yes? I got some yeses? Any noes? All right, how many yeses? Yeah? How many noes? All right, I got some yeses, some noes, and some, a lot of abstentions. Um, <clears throat> who was this letter originally written to? Well, it was written to the Ephesians. Um, the church at Ephesus is a church that Paul pastored for about three years, but many scholars believe that this was a circular letter written to several churches in the region and personalized uh, for the churches. And uh, this being the case, I thought it fitting to appropriate it for our congregation. So I suppose the answer is yes and no. Um, and now, if you would just raise your hand if you consider yourself a saint. Are you a saint or not a saint? Any saints here? Come on. That's it? That's all the saints we have? Well, um, Paul wrote to what NIV translates as holy people. Are you a holy person? Most other versions translate this as saint. Are we holy people? Are we saints? Which version's correct? Well, the word saint uh, has sort of a Latin base, and the word holy one or holy people is coming from the Greek that the New Testament was translated from. So there are both different sides of the same coin, same sort of meaning. If you have a Catholic or an Orthodox background, you might consider a saint as something you could never aspire to. But here, Paul considers all Christians saints. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You've been called to be a saint. Like the Ephesian Christians, none of us could become saints by our works. We are holy saints because we have been redeemed by God through grace in Jesus Christ. And therefore, Paul is able to continue grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace always precedes his peace. 
So Paul's greeting is a fitting start for what's about to take place in the next 12 verses. The English translators thought they would be kind to you and break this into several sentence, sentences, but in the original language, uh, verses 3 through 14 are all one long sentence, if you can imagine. And so we need to address these together. Uh, it is one long, rich, complex sentence written as a doxology, and the word doxology means... Starts with a P, ends with an E. Praise. All right, the word doxology means praise. So say praise God. Okay, that's a doxology. You just uttered your first doxology. That's good. Maybe some of you have said that doxology before. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce says that doctrine, rightly understood, leads to doxology. Did you guys get that? Doctrine rightly understood leads to doxology. If we discover who God is and what he has done for us, we will praise him. In other words, understanding the truth about God and what he has done should lead us as his church to praise him. So church, there is an, a relationship between orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and doxology. And you're like, whoa, um, orthodoxy, meaning right belief, orthopraxy, mean right actions, and doxology, mean praising rightly. There is a relationship between all those three things. You, do you think that you can rightly praise God when you don't, don't believe rightly or act rightly? Do you think that you can rightly praise God when you live in habitual sin? Or when you make up things about God in your own mind without referring to Scripture? Or do you think that you can believe rightly and act rightly about God without praising Him? You can't do any of those things. Believing what is right and doing what is right and rightly praising God all work together, and we have a lot to praise God for. And this passage, it goes on, says, We have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does every spiritual blessing mean? There aren't any left out when we mention the word every. And what are these blessings? Well, there's a secular song you might know. Anybody heard it? Are you going to raise your hand if you've heard it? Um, Signed, sealed, delivered is the refrain. Anybody heard it? Okay, it's a little older song, but you might have heard it. So, Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Well, that's sort of a little bit of what's taking place here in a little bit different order. Uh, it might be signed, delivered, sealed, I'm yours. Um, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, we have been chosen, we have been redeemed, and we have been sealed. And as we think of being chosen and redeemed and sealed, um, there's sort of a movement in this passage that moves along with the persons of the Godhead. Uh, these blessings are from the three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity. The Father chooses, the Son redeems, and the Spirit seals in this passage. So God chose us in the heart of God, before the creation of the universe, God chose us. Some of us have dates when we have been, uh, when we've been saved, when we have received salvation in Christ, when God has quickened our spirit. Some of us have a, a second birthday. And, and Tim Haas, Tim, are you here somewhere? 
And we, we got to, uh, Tim invited Asha and I to lunch with his kids. And he said, uh, we're going to celebrate my birthday, my five-year-old birthday. And, uh, and it was just a delightful time. And we, I have had uh, a couple letters and different people that have said, you know, this is a significant day for me because this is the, the day when, uh, when Christ transformed me. That's one day. But there's another day that happened before the creation of the world where God chose us. And so when did you become a Christ follower in the heart of God before the creation of the world? God chose me. That's pretty amazing. Some might say, oh, let me, Em, let me just back up here. So sometimes I get, uh, we get so theologically caught up in the fact that God chose us that we forget what God chose us for. What did God choose us for? Well, God chose us to be holy and righteous. That's why some of you didn't raise your hands. You thought, me, holy? I don't think so. But God chose us to be holy and righteous. That's what it says. Christian, you are holy and blameless in God's sight through the blood of Christ. But do your actions, your lifestyle, your words and relationships reflect this trajectory of your soul to be holy and blameless in God's sight? Is that the journey you're on? If you're a Christ follower, it implies motion. Some might say, but I have also been chosen for adoption. I'm adopted into God's family, predestined through Jesus Christ. God chose us to be in a relationship with him that can only take place upon reconciliation, though. So you could say I'm adopted, or as some say, I've got the helmet of salvation on, but nothing else. It doesn't really matter what I do because I'm saved in Christ. But Christ has saved us to become increasingly holy. So there's a trajectory of sanctification that should take place. We're not saved by works, but we should be growing and godliness as Christians. If we're not holy and blameless, we cannot be in the family of God. And we can only be holy and blameless. The starting point of that is that road with Jesus Christ. So that plan won't be fully realized, this sight of Christ's return, but uh, if we are his, we will become increasingly sanctified, slowly growing into our sainthood. You can raise your hand and say, I am a saint. I'm a saint through the blood of Christ, but I will be only fully sanctified at Christ's return. In the meantime, I'm seeking God and his will for me in righteousness. Being reconciled with, uh, with God through Christ means that we have a heart for worship. We seek to honor God with the details of our lives. Now, some of you... Uh, might struggle with this idea of being chosen or predestined. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure that there are a few of us that struggle with that. Uh, it's not that you don't want to be chosen. It's that you have concern for those who aren't chosen. And maybe you're not chosen. You know, when I was um, in grammar school, I got my hand-eye coordination later than all the other boys. And so as consequence of that, whenever there was a, a ball team being chosen, what they, the teacher would always do is pick two of the best players, and they would pick the teams. And so I would wait, and they'd, they'd invite Bobby and Susie and everyone else up there, and I'm finally standing up last going, <whistles> and, uh, 
And I was chosen last every time. So every time they go to, to do the lineup of kids for these games, I would just dread it because I didn't like the way things were chosen. And in all fairness, I wasn't a good player. Later, I got my hand-eye coordination and I took up karate. Go figure. <laughs> Some of you might have a very definite idea on what it means to be chosen. You might have a distinct theological perspective. Reformed theologians like to point out that the doctrine of predestination is biblical and demands the doctrine of total depravity. By total depravity, I mean that there's nothing good in us. It's not that we can't do good things, but we are not by nature good. How far did humanity fall, asked James Boyce. Did we fall upward? That's the belief of evolutionists, that we are getting better and better. Did man fall partway, but not the whole way, so that he is not totally ruined? But that's hard to reconcile with passages like Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Or Romans 3.11, There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Or John 6.4.4, the words of Jesus, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. There is no category called mostly dead. People are either dead or they're not dead. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, and Scripture tells us that we do not understand spiritually apart from God's call. Worse than that, no one is seeking God, and no one can come to God the Father uh, unless the Father draws them to Jesus. So who did Christ die for? And that's the crux of the matter. Reformed theologians say that Christ died only for the elect. There's a limited atonement. If you're a tulip, anybody familiar with tulip? A couple, couple, couple tulip people. Um, Reformed theologians say that Christ died only for the elect. They say that atonement is limited. That's the L in tulip. Other theologians say that Christ died for all because Christ's death because of Christ's death, people are able to respond to the gospel message, but not all will. Atonement is unlimited, but not all will be saved. Now, there are implications of both belief systems. Uh, neither are unorthodox. And I want to say this, we need to hold our views with humility, with faith in Christ, and kindness towards others. I remember sitting in a class with Grant Osborne, a New Testament scholar who has passed away since, um, talking about how students have been very unkind to him for his Arminian views. He was not one of the Reformed. He was more on the free will side. Another man giving his testimony, I observed, um, who had been in prison for his faith, and there was another man that interrupted him because uh, he spoke um, more on the free will side. This man had been in prison for his faith. Theological systems can be helpful, but theological systems must serve us in our quest for God. We do not serve them, they serve us. When we start serving our theological systems, bad things happen. We come to the wrong conclusions, 
by interpreting through an overly tight grid. Instead, we need to seek truth, be humble, be kind, and pursue what's written in Scripture and let it form us. Now, I would say in this room, there are probably not a lot of us that have overly tight theological systems. Probably some of us need to understand our theology a lot better. But as you start digging in and reading, you'll notice that some people are, uh, are more along this line, and some people are more along the, the other line, and, and sometimes they say unkind things about each other. And we, as God's children, need to speak kindly and have respect for one another. What is necessary for us to come to peace with the doctrine of election is the belief in God's goodness, his right to choose, and, his, and the belief that God does not choose by being arbitrary or unjust. Being chosen by God is not luck of the draw, nor do we know who God has chosen or how many have been chosen, whether it's limited or unlimited. What we need to know is that being chosen in Christ is to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Here, I'd like to be a church that majors in the majors and minors in the minors. And we can have theological discussions which talk about different things that are important, like predestination. But the most important thing, the major thing, is being in Christ. Let's talk about redemption. Uh, Jesus is at the center of a great drama. We're in verses uh, 7 through 10, by the way, here. Uh, Jesus is at the center of a great drama which, in which everything in heaven and earth become resolved in him. Uh, for the believer in Christ, being chosen by God before the creation of the world is an unimaginable blessing. But this blessing only takes place through the redemption and the cost of Christ's blood. Uh, many years ago now, B.B. Warfield delivered an address uh, to Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, arguing that there is no title in Christ more precious to Christians than Redeemer. And then in his address, he gave several examples of songs, hymns, that have the word Redeemer in them. And we probably don't need to think too hard to think of contemporary examples of songs with the word Redeemer. Redemption. James Montgomery Boyce notes that in antiquity, a person could become a slave in three ways. First, he could be born a slave, in which case his children would automatically be slaves. Or he could be a slave by conquest, uh, citizens of a nation or city captured by another city nation would be enslaved. Or he or she could be, become a slave through a debt. Uh, they owe money they cannot pay, and as a last possible resource for payment, they become a slave. But significantly, the Bible speaks of people becoming slaves of sin in each of these three ways. We are born into sin, receiving a sinful nature from our parents. You can read Psalm 51.5. We are conquered by sin. Psalm 19.13. And we are also slaves of sin through debt. Romans 6.23. But we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And then Paul immediately praises God and points out this gift of redemption finds its source 
and God's glorious grace lavished upon us. If God's grace were a treasure vault, countless riches would have been poured out on our behalf. We have been redeemed, forgiven, and God no longer holds our sin against us. Um, several years ago, I, I, and I might have shared this story before, but uh, I went for a run with a, a man from Belarus. We were uh, in Europe at the time, and, and uh, this young man was faster than me, but I, I wanted to talk to him about some spiritual things. So we would go for a run, and he would kill me, and, and we'd try to, I'd try to talk while we're running, which made it even worse. Uh, but we started talking about spiritual things, and he had... Um, I, I knew uh, was not a Christian, although he'd been raised Orthodox, and so uh, I just asked him because he, you know, to tell me about Buddhism. What did he believe? And he did, and and uh, it was interesting. And and uh, I said, so what do you know about Christianity? And and he said, well, I was raised Orthodox, and and uh, I said, well, so what do you know? And uh, we got all the way down uh, to the gospel about uh, Jesus dying for our sins. And um, I said, hmm, uh, what does Jesus dying for our sins have to do with anything? He said, hmm, I don't know. Do you know? And we talked. But let's stop right there. If someone, if you had a conversation with someone and you started talking about the central tenet of Christianity and, and they were interested and said, do you know, what would you tell them? Could you explain the central tenet of Christianity to them? What would you tell them? And maybe they've heard, Jesus died for my sin. But what would you tell them? We have been redeemed from our sinful state. We have been forgiven. We've been adopted. That Christ's blood provided the atonement on our behalf. That it's true, there is total depravity, that, um, that people inherited a problem. It goes down from generation to generation. There are always wars. There are always family conflicts. There are always, all the bad things continue to happen generation after generation. It's an inherited problem. And if you've ever battled with a specific sin, uh, oftentimes you find yourself conquered by it. All, all these things are true, and there's a debt we cannot repay, but Christ's blood covered all that. What we couldn't do for ourselves, Christ did for us. He redeemed us from all of those things. No longer is that sinful state a problem for us. No longer need we be conquered by sin. These things are not true for us anymore. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with them. But Jesus provided a way for new life. And so if someone were to ask you, um, what's your faith all about? You just tell them, you can have all of that junk removed from you. Whatever you feel shame or fear or struggle for is bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. And when we give our lives over to Christ, we are a new creation in him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, if you leave out the in Christ, you'll never have any blessing at all. Every blessing we enjoy as a Christian people comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to have every spiritual blessing, it can be yours, but it can be yours in Christ by trusting in him 
and given your life over to him. And when we do that, we receive something. We receive the seal of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But how do we know these things? And how can we, how can we understand them? And part of the blessing is the mystery of God is made known to us. There are still many things about the will of God that is, are a mystery to us, but the mystery in regard to, to redemption and how God has called us has been revealed. We know this because God has made it known. And he has made it known according to his good pleasure. NIV reads, when, when the times reach their fulfillment... The ESV renders this in the fullness of time, and the King James helpfully translates that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. So, in God's economy of time, his administration, what was determined in his timelessness will make its way into history or as some people call it, his story. That history actually has a trajectory. It's not mindless, but it's heading towards something. It's the redemption of all things in Christ. Therefore, all these translations are accurate, but revealing different aspects of the truth. Okay, last part. If you are in Christ, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. God's call or chosenness will work its way out in your life, and Paul and his companions were chosen. Uh, some think verses 11 through 12 refer to the Jewish people, but the main emphasis for us, I think, comes in verse 13. How did you receive all these blessings? Verse 13 answers, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I asked, you know, do you know the message of the gospel well enough to share it with other people? The church Christ died for is built around an important message. That's why at Life Spring Community Church, we're, just we're not making anything up. We're just summarizing some of this, but it's gospel, gather, go. We're about a message, a community, and a mission that God has given us. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The gospel is the truth of being in Christ, where orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and doxology all come together. Right thinking Right, acting, and worship all come together in one at the gospel. Ephesians, um, finishing up here, it says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When's the last time you sealed anything? Did you seal, vacuum pack seal something? Or did you, uh, what kind of sealing did you do? If you were to go and take a document to a notary, the notary would seal it for you. 
Uh, in so doing, the notary would confirm that the property or the, or the document on here is genuine. A seal, in one sense, guarantees the genuineness of what is being sealed. But a seal can also mark uh, something as one's property. We might seal something in such a way so it is sealed to us. Or it can be used to keep something fast and secure. I always love those movies where they have a, uh, a candle in the wax and they take the ring and they put it in the letter and there's this cool seal on the back of the envelope. Um, when you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. This is the, God's pledge, his earnest money, guaranteeing our inheritance until our redemption. The redemption of those who belong in Christ and all this to his glory. We are signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, <clears throat> I began talking about love. I said, Jesus loves the church. Do we love the church? Jesus died for the church. Do we love the church in that way? And the church being... Um, Abroad, there's sort of a big C church that uh, spans all believers over all time. People that are authentically Christ's, they belong to him. And then there's a small C, which is a congregation, which comprises some of those uh, in the big church. Do we love that big church that is part of God's eternal plan to make his mystery known and to... Um, to astound the heavenly bodies and authorities, rulers and authorities. Do we love that church? If we do, I think that we're going to try to bring three things together. We're going to try to bring our right beliefs with our right actions, with our right worship. Any one or two of these without the, the others is really worthless. Without worship, we have a, a dry, lifeless faith. Without right actions, we have hypocrisy. And without right belief, we don't even know what it is that we're seeking. We need to have all three of those together as the church. And we need to remember our mission, which is to share the gospel that people need to hear this message. We need to hear this message again and again. The centrality that God loves us with an amazing love so great that he would send his son to die for us, that we can be chosen, that we can be redeemed, that we can be adopted, that we can be sealed by the Holy Spirit, that we can have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We need to hear that message, that God intends us for good. A couple of nights ago, uh, Ash and I went out uh, at the restaurant with uh, Bob and Colleen. Sorry to, to mention you in service here, Bob, um, but it is kind of a risk of going out to dinner with us. Uh, during, our, during our dinner, um, we had a good conversation with a waitress, and, and uh, so Bob said, you know, uh, would, uh, would you help me out? I'd, I'd like to uh, take just like a minute survey here and just on spiritual beliefs. And so he asked the waitress several questions, just curious you know, um, questions like, you know, why, why uh, do people 
not uh, not go to the church? What's you know? And then one of the questions at at one point he asked was, um, if you were to stand before the gates of heaven right now and God were to ask you know why shall I let you in? Uh, what would you say? And uh, the waitress thought and she said, well. I hope he would let me in because I'm a good person. Is that a Christian answer? We should know if that's a Christian answer or not. And the answer is that, uh, that no one's good except Christ alone. But Christ died for us so that we can be righteous in God's eyes. And his trajectory for us is that we will in the end be holy and good and righteous. But it's only in Christ that we receive that. And it's a free gift for those who trust in him. That's the Christian message. That's the gospel. And that's what we need to understand and articulate to other people. Um, We're going to uh, um, close our time in prayer, but I want you to know that, uh, that after service we'll have some folks that can pray for you if you're interested, if you uh, perhaps would like um, prayer uh, over faith, maybe you'd like to give your life over to Christ, or maybe there's something significant going on in your life. Maybe you need healing or you need whatever it might be. We're a church that prays. I want to invite you to do that at, um, during the last couple songs of service. And, um, and then also, if, uh, if you have never put your faith in Christ, I encourage you to do so today. Why wait? Um, you know, uh, we, we can't know how all these things, the predestination work, but you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a relationship with God when you put your faith in him. Uh, please bow your heads with me. Father, uh, we thank you for your word, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Thank you for the book of Ephesians, such a compact, powerful book. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, work on each of our hearts and lives, that we would believe these truths about you and that in believing them and in acting upon them, we would just give you great praise, Lord, that we would rightly praise you because of the way we we think, because of how we act, Lord. Or perhaps we would do those other things because we praise you. Father, uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit work upon each of our hearts, grow us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.